to the King's Insider Podcast on csncalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to episode two of the King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me today, King's assistant coach, Chad Iskey. Chad, how are you? I'm good, James. How are you doing? Good. I mean, your team looks good. They look healthy. You got a little rolled ankle with Willie Cauley-Stein, but it doesn't look like anything too much. How do they look in your eyes? Uh, I think it's been a really positive experience so far. Obviously, going 5-1, and one, you, know, you know, looks great, but I think we felt good about both sides of the ball all through training camp. And we know this is a big week leading up uh, to a, a tough start of the season for us, so it's important that we continue to get better each day while we're here. You've been around a lot of different types of teams, uh, George Carl teams in the past, but, but really some younger teams. This is not a younger team. This is a veteran team. Does, how much does that play into sort of the success of a, of a team going into an early season? They've been there before. They know what opening night's going to be like. They know what their jobs are. How, how big is that? Uh, I think it does help us, especially because we're all new to each other. There's a few core guys back from last year on this team, but so many new additions. So many new additions to us as a staff, uh, you know, and, and to, on the roster as well, that the experience of a lot of guys, I think that'll help them, you know, mesh together a little bit quicker, not worried about some of the hoopla that goes around with the start of a season. Is there anyone that's sticking out to you that you're just like, holy cow, I had no idea this guy was this good? I mean, there, this, you brought in a lot of veterans, but you also weren't around this team before. So is there anyone that's just like jumping out at you? Uh, no, I think everybody's been really positive. I think you look in a lot of ways. Marco had a huge game. I think we knew that was a possibility, even though you haven't seen that explosiveness. Um, you know, the last couple of years in San Antonio, it was more of a solid experience. I think Darren's had a great camp and a great preseason. I think the system we try to play is really fitting to his game and utilizing his speed. Um, but I think everybody, Rudy shot the ball great, um, you know, through a few of those games and rebounded really well for us. James Anderson and Ben, you know, had their moments each on the wings. So I think, uh, and Costa, Costa's a guy we knew from, from Denver um, that we were really excited about having here because he just adds a, a solidity to our defense and our offense, always knowing where we want him to be. Um, and I think that's going to help us a lot. You know, you, you bring up Darren Collison, and there's been a lot of talk about how well he's played during the preseason, but still Rondo has started all, all through preseason. Is there a dynamic there? Can you describe the dynamic that kind of works out where not only do you not start your best five players, that's, that's tip, not typical in the NBA, but also they bring such different things to the table. One sets a table for the others. The other one really has a knack for scoring and doing different things for himself. Yeah, I think it's... You know, something we utilized in Denver when we had Ty Lawson and Andre Miller, you had two point guards that got us the same results in a very different way. So it's, you know, we're kind of thinking the same thing here. Rondo does it in a more pass-first way, a la Andre Miller, and, and we want Darren to really utilize that speed. I mean, he's one of the faster players with the ball in the league. And it's kind of, you know, I think he's embracing and knowing how important he is to us for us to come off and give us that spurt, that burst that burst of speed that comes with that second unit and Marco's explosiveness along with it is kind of, you know, it's kind of got us excited about how, uh, how well our bench can play at times. 
Okay, Ben McLemore is one guy who kind of stands out as he's had an up-and-down camp, and uh, I think everybody kind of sees it. They see the, the numbers are bad, the, uh, the shooting percentage is really low. Um, he kind of looks like he's on skates again like he had earlier in his career. Is that kind of a function of walking in after starting a whole bunch of games as a young player, and all of a sudden the talent around you is different? The talent is bigger and better, and you have to be bigger and better and smarter. Is that kind of what you're seeing? I think it's... You know, and weird, I don't want to say it's like a rookie year for him, but as you say, you know, he came in and started and, and comfortably got minutes the first couple years, and maybe there wasn't a ton of competition for those minutes. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't here. But I think this is a great opportunity for Ben to get better as a player because he does have competition every day, and he's going to have to earn the minutes he gets uh, on the floor because we have a depth of talent here um, You know that, that I think is fairly impressive. So I think it's going to really help him in his career to just have to go against that every day. And, you know, I think it's he's trying to feel his way through it. It's a new offensive system with a new coach that I think uh, he's got to get used to. It's a little different than what he was used to his first two seasons as far as, you know, free-flowing, uh, playing with pace basketball as to maybe, you know, a few more set plays and execution. Um, you know, so I think it's just going to take a little time, and we got to be patient with him a little bit, knowing that, you know, it's a, it's a change for him. And, and he's still a young kid that, you know, played one year in college and got into the NBA early and we've got some more experienced older players along here with him now. When you look at DeMarcus Cousins he's he's added the three-point shot at least he tried to and it hasn't really worked out numbers wise. Um, he's sat on the perimeter a lot. Are you guys letting him kind of figure things out for himself or is it like all right big boy it's time to get in the post? I think a lot of it you know with George is letting him feel stuff out. We want to give him different options. Obviously, we don't want to take away what he can do at the basket. Um, he does have abilities out on the floor. He has amazing ball handling and passing skills from the post and the perimeter. Um, I think he's had a lot of success driving big guys from the perimeter in the preseason. He hasn't gotten the results from behind the line shooting it that, that you know, he was hoping to have or that we were hoping he has. But I think he's been very good You know, if he takes one or two and, and doesn't feel it. He's not going to sit out there all day and keep chucking. I think. It's, it's on him to kind of figure out, you know, how he fits into the offense a little bit in that area when we have him spaced and, and how we can get the most out of him. But we know um, we want to utilize all parts of his game, interior and out and, and on the perimeter. What is it that you're seeing about this team? I mean, from the outside, versatility, um, athleticism. You're, you're seeing, you know, it's deep. There's all kinds of, you know, different options you can go for. Is that what you guys are seeing too? Or you're kind of like, well, I wish we kind of had a little bit more of this or that. Uh, you know, I think from a coaching standpoint, you're always going to hope for a little more and, you know, always focus a little bit sometimes too much on what you're missing or what you think you need to add. Uh, but I think versatility is a good word. I think we have... We have options. You know, I think we can play big with two seven-foot type guys out on the floor at the same time. And a tall guy like Rudy at, at three and really play big and try to, to pound the boards and really be a presence on the interior defense. We can go small with two small point guards and Rudy at the four and, and play more of a speed game. I think, I think it gives us the ability to match up with all different types of teams in the NBA because you know you're going to see a lot of small ball options when you play uh, the Warriors per se, or then you're going to go up against Griffin and, and Jordan, two big guys who are going to be tough on the interior on you all night long to start the season. So I think we're excited about, we feel we, we have options to play against any type of team. In the past, the Kings have been the team that has to make adjustments to someone else, and it's kind of like the mark of a, of a subpar team. It, every time you go into a game, 
you're wondering how are we going to defend them and the other team is like how are we going to stop cousins but outside of that you know it's not really the other way do you think that this team can be one of those teams that you have to start game planning for every single night if you're uh, the opposing nba team uh, definitely i mean i think that's definitely our hope um i think you know George has done a great job throughout his career with all his teams, making his teams one of those teams where you get an identity um, with the type of pace we want to play, with us always constantly trying to put pressure on the defense by coming back at you as quickly as possible and having multiple options and moving the ball. Um, you know, I think we're excited in, in, in about that possibility with us, and you know, we hope that that's what happens. You've spent, this isn't your first go around with George. What is it that draws the coaches to him? Because I, I've seen it, like, all of these coaches are coaches that disbanded and now you guys are all coming back. What is it that, that like, captures your imagination with him? Uh, I think, you know, he's been in it so long. I mean, I think he sees the game differently than a lot of head coaches and it just has every situation we go in every day, I think he's seen, you know, 20 times before in his career. So nothing's new coming to him. So I think... He has the ability to look at it in a different way, and he's always seeing the big picture more than just a minute detail. Um, and then the fact that he just lets us coach so much, I think that's part of it. You know you get to be such an active part of it. He gives you such, a, such ownership in the team and the parts that you play, and he kind of sits back and oversees it and jumps in where he wants to jump in, and, and he knows when it's time, his time to talk, and he knows when it's his time to back away and kind of let the team go and let us um, do our thing. You've been with good teams, you've been with bad teams, you've seen it as well. I mean, you haven't had the experience that George does, but you have seen a lot of it. How good can this team be? Uh, I think we have a lot of chance, a chance to make a lot of noise in the West. You know, we know how tough it is, but I think uh, it's going to get us better on a nightly basis, knowing that we, we have to come ready to play home or road every night out here. Uh, you know, the versatility we talked about before I think is exciting that we can match up with anybody out there. And then I think we're excited about uh, the defensive side of the ball. We were pleasantly pleased with the, our defensive results in the preseason. I think our length that we can put out there can make it tough for people to finish. And if we just stay solid and rebound the ball, I think our offense will have a chance to put a lot of people in, in tough spots. All right, I don't want to keep you all day. I know you got to get back out here and start shooting with these players. What is it that's going to change this season? Because Kings fans have been waiting for years, 28, 29 wins. I mean, they haven't won more than 29. I think it's eight, nine seasons straight. What is it that's going to get this team over the hump? How can they do it? Not that they will do it, but how can they get there? I think it's just a, a belief in each other and a belief in George. You know, George, you look at his career, he's a winner. He finds a way to win. His teams don't underachieve. They overachieve. Um, and then we brought in a lot of winning pedigree. You got championship players in Bellinelli and in Rondo, guys that have gone deep in the playoffs like Kufus. We've added a lot of winning and knowing how to win in this league. And I think the whole thing is for them to come together and believe in George's plan. He knows how to get you into the playoffs. He knows how to take the next step. And it's just us coming together and buying into each other and sacrificing a little bit of our own personal goals to meet that. All right, that is Chad Iskey. Assistant Coach Sacramento Kings, thanks for joining us on the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Thank you to Chad Iskey for joining us on the first half. Some great insight from the Kings Assistant Coach. Very good stuff. Aaron Bruski is joining me now. AB, what's going on? I am finding myself in the position of defending the Kings. 
in defense of the kingdom. Yes, I am. Did you like don like a knight's helmet? Uh, maybe an orange cone on my head. <laughs> <laughs> Did you at least get like a nerf sword? Come on, man. You got to have something. No, no, I'm just, uh, I have no uh, arms. I just am there, there with my orange cone. Not fighting, quite dead fighting, yet. Fighting them with my hands. I'll buy your kneecaps. <laughs> okay, so let's get to the, let's get to the show. Um, we've got a lot to talk about. This is the last show that we will do before the start of the regular season, which is Wednesday against the Clippers. The Clippers, for some reason, they decided to mess with the Golden State Warriors, and now it's like we've got all this bad blood brewing. And I can only imagine that that bad blood is going to roll right into the regular season with teams like the Kings, who the Clippers already have bad blood with. What are your thoughts, though? Because that Clippers team is really strangely constructed, and they added a couple of like big-name pieces. But once again, I think that they, they made a huge mistake by not addressing their bench quite enough. And are they a legitimate contender, or are they a pretender, Aaron Brewski? I have them as a major contender. I feel like they just did about as much as anybody could have asked for on that bench. Um, I really like the bench, so we're going to differ on that one. Well, and give then, me their bench. Who, who is their bench? I mean, Well, I, I think Josh Smith is like a huge addition, and they should know best since he slaughtered them in game six of the playoffs. But um, you know, just little things like Wes Johnson is going to fulfill a need. Paul Pierce is going to give them another voice in the locker room that will be more closely aligned with Chris Paul and Doc Rivers and be able to tell these guys kind of how to act that, that, like they've been there before. Um, I, I, I think when you, when you look at it from that perspective, they've addressed it. Austin Rivers, I mean, as much as we want to rip on the guy, he's – not that bad. I mean, he's getting a little bit better. He's got some. He was great in the playoffs. He's got some good playoff experience under his belt. Lance Stevenson is going to be hilarious to watch. Uh, Jamal Crawford is a guy that looked really slow at the end of last year, and you just never want to count a guy with those skills out. Um, yeah, he's I, fun I, to watch. Yeah, he could if he if he's anything like he. I'm not counting on him to be that because I don't like to bet on guys that late in their career to regress and become more athletic. But he looked really slow at the end of the year, so. I think they run, even Pablo Prigioni is going to be a serviceable backup point guard for those guys. So I think they run like 9, 10 deep now, whereas last year they ran like 5 deep, yeah. 6 deep, 7 deep. It was really ugly for them, and that's why they lost. Prigioni, I like Prigioni pickup. Um, I don't love Josh Smith, especially with uh, sort of the rest of the crew that they've brought in there. Uh, Paul Pierce, is he starting or is he coming off the bench? They're just going to rotate it. They're going to. I think they're trying Lance Stevenson tonight, and my guess is they'll roll with Wes Johnson, and then bring Paul Pierce off the bench, um, and then rotate as they see fit. Maybe because Wes, Wes Johnson goes through these fits where he can't hit the broadside of a barn. Well, I mean, yeah, has Wes Johnson proven to be an NBA player? Because I don't think he is. You know, it's going to be interesting when they when they put out an athletic lineup including Wes Johnson, where they perhaps run like. Josh Smith at the three, Wes Johnson at the two, Chris Paul at the one, Blake Griffin at the four, DeAndre Jordan at the five. That lineup has flaws, obviously, offensively, mm -hmm. but that is a long and defensive lineup that could get up and down the floor, and I think you'll see Doc Rivers turn to it. So there's places you can use Wes Johnson, but again, we're just talking about like they had Big Baby and Hito Turkoglu playing serious minutes for those guys. You can't do that. That's well, just not acceptable. <laughs> and they said they had Spencer Hawes as well. And I, I just don't think well, that that team is is quality built 
uh, with role players on the bench. And that's, I mean, for me, it's still a major concern. You named a bunch of guys, but you're looking at like guys who think that they're still stars. And, uh, and that's going to be an issue. Josh Smith carried them through game six, the Rockets, that is. He carried them. So did uh, Corey Brewer in that game. Um, Smith shot 35% from three in Houston over 55 game sample. I mean, as long as he's not, you know, I, I think he's not going to do well at the three, but if he's at the four in that backup role or even some backup five, depending on if you want to call him or Blake Griffin the five in that lineup, I think that's a good spot for him at this stage of his career. And you're not asking him to be, you know, anything but a good backup. And I think it lowers expectations. Um, Paul Pierce single-handedly took out the Toronto Raptors last year. And that's, that's the kind of guy who, you know, talking with Dan Wojcicki of um, the Orange County Register the other day on our other podcast, I mean, he's, he's just emphatically, you know, on board with Paul Pierce, even in whatever I think is like 18th year or something. He's the kind of guy that can get a shot off without needing athleticism. He just needs to dip his body a certain way and create the smallest amount of space. And he will take the shot at the end of the game. You know, that, that was another criticism of the Clippers last year is that they were, they looked scared coming down the stretch of game six. And, you know, that was their, that was their undoing. Yeah, I just don't know that. I, I think Paul Pierce, I, I don't know how much he has left in the tank. He talked about his 18th year and, you know, I, I get it. But, I mean, the Kings aren't counting on Karan Butler, and he's got a few less miles on, on the, the old knees than Paul Pierce. Uh, and, you know, I just I, I think you're right. He is a guy who can get a shot off. I, I, I totally agree. He's, he's one of the, the great players in the league ever at getting a shot off while, like, six people are draped over him, like his own teammate and then five other guys. Um, but, but... I still, I, I struggle. I struggle with their depth. I struggle with what really they have uh, outside of, you know, their big, big guns. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. And I honestly, I don't think Austin Rivers, would he play for anyone other than his dad? After his playoff showing last year, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, is there any difference between him and Seth Curry? Really? Rivers has a little bit. Well, Rivers has a lot more explosion in his in his first step, but but really, I, I'm not going to mince words. I mean, probably not a whole lot of difference. But then again, Rivers proved it on a big stage last year, and that was something we've never seen out of the guy. So you can't just summarily dismiss him from being a contributor in a low minute role. You know, like 15 to 25 minutes a game tops. I summarily uh, dismiss him. I just did it. Well, then good <laughs> luck when he's the MVP of the league. That's we're going to re-record this and laugh at you. That's right. All right, so so the reason why we're doing such an in-depth look into the Clippers is because they are facing off against Sacramento Kings in the home opener, uh, the season opener, which is at home, uh, the final season opener at Sleep Train Arena, better known as Arco Arena. It's going to be an interesting night. Are you going to be there on Wednesday? I, th- I believe I am. I have not checked with the old calendar, but I believe I am. All right, all right. So, so look, uh, the Sacramento Kings are coming through like the strangest scheduling. I, I don't even know what to call it. I mean, how strange is it that they finish their preseason on Saturday and then they don't play for another, I don't know, what is it, 10 days? It's very odd. I'm a little concerned that by 
uh, Friday or Saturday, that these guys are going to be punching each other in the face because they're going up against each other all day, every day. Is that a concern that you would you would think would, would make sense? Or is this just like kumbaya, we're starting the season, everyone's on the same page? I actually really like it for the Kings because if they if they had, say, like two games over the next 10 days and they had to chop it up, I, I there's just travel and then there's just the hecticness of game day. It's easy to let 10 days go by without accomplishing anything when they can sit there. It's like a second training camp almost. I think they're going to be able to install new stuff. I think they're going to be able to work out a lot of the kinks on what they're doing. They didn't get to play you know, a lot of the lineups that, that are going to be regular season lineups. Um, so I, I really think that's actually a good thing. Yeah, they will probably want to kill each other by the end of it. And they might even come out with a little bit too much angst in the first game and press a little bit. Uh, on the other side of the floor, the Clippers actually have looked really sharp and like right out the gate. So I think um, any question about their their fitness has probably gone by the wayside, and that was an issue last year. So that's bad news for Kings fans. The uh, the only good news that I see for Kings fans is that Golden State is on the schedule about a week later, and that's going to be a game they have circled on their uh, their calendar. Houston will be before that. They might even view – oh, pardon me, I'm looking at the wrong schedule here. I'm looking at the Kings schedule. It's Golden State on the 4th. They'll have Phoenix before that. And Houston right after that, Memphis following that. So they might look ahead a week, you know, if, if they're not, you know, if they're not motivated. It'd almost be better for the Kings to just not say anything and just try to fly under the radar here, not to spark up any of the old, you know, I don't want to call it a rivalry, but the, the dislike these two teams have shown for each other in the past. That's the only good thing here for the Kings. Uh, Chris Paul looked extremely sharp in China. Blake Griffin looked really sharp. Not good. Not good for Kings fans. Well, I mean, it's a home opener. I mean, it, you play at a different level. And, and I know the Kings have a lot of moving pieces. They've been working, trying to get this team together. And they've been doing a lot of team building. I mean, they, they hit the Tesla plant on, on Monday because that clearly is going to make you win more basketball games so you can get 0 to 100 faster in a Tesla. Um, you know, But they're doing what they can to try to get this thing going the right direction. I think the early season schedule for the Kings is brutal. Uh, it is a very, very tough schedule filled with Western Conference like stars. Uh, but at the same time, you and I both know that these teams, the the big teams throughout the league, they typically take it easy early in the season. They they kind of sleepwalk out of the gate and they build up. You know, they start ramping up in, in December and and early January, starting getting starting to get ready for what's going to happen next. You know, the the long playoff season. And we saw last year where the Kings came out hot and just beat down a bunch of teams. And I think they, the Kings could possibly do that again this year. They have a lot of intrigue. You know, if I'm if I'm going into the opener, I'm intrigued to see what Willie Cauley-Stein can do against Blake Griffin. I'm excited to see what Kufos can do against DeAndre Jordan off the bench. I think, you know, the Kings match up well with a lot of teams and including the Clippers. I mean, they've given the Clippers fits over the last couple of years. And, you know, if Rondo is getting torn up by Chris Paul, now you send Darren Collison at him. And Collison's done a really nice job in the past against Chris Paul. He he likes to get into Chris Paul early. And I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really fear the Clippers. I don't fear any team in the West in the first month and a half of the season because I just don't think that they bring an A game early. 
Yeah, well, that was the case last year. That's why the Kings stormed off to such a hot start. But there's a couple, I mean, Memphis will remember what the Kings did to them early in the year. So I don't think that they're going to sneak up on Memphis. Didn't the Kings get like a 26-point lead to Memphis and then blow it? They, yeah, but they stuck it to them. I mean, uh, the the meltdown aside, like the Kings dominated that game, and I, teams remember that stuff. Um, Phoenix is a team that's they're in a different spot. They're they're climbing for respect right now. Nobody has them doing anything, but they're actually a really good squad. I don't uh, have them doing anything. I think that I got to pick make my final picks, but I think they might. They're on the cusp. They're an eight, nine, ten. You think so? Team. Yeah, they've got a lot of talent, one through nine, and, and a lot of understated talent where people are kind of sleeping at the wheel. Guys like Alex Len, TJ Warren has been amazing. Little Devin Booker has been really good for a 19-year-old kid. They've got talent, and it's actually things are better on the ground there than it's being portrayed in the media. Houston, I think that's a good spot right there for the Kings because not only are the, are the Rockets banged up, but they're the type of team that will coast against the Kings. And then Golden State has had so much success against the Kings that I could see Golden State sleeping a little bit. And San Antonio has LaMarcus Aldridge to in- integrate into their offense. And that hasn't been going so great. And Tony Parker hasn't been playing so well. So the hope there is that they're still in their learning phase. I, so, yeah, I, I'm actually per- fairly optimistic. I don't like the Clippers for the Kings right now. You know, I was saying early in the year that they might be distracted and the trip to China might not actually be a good thing for them. But I think I'm going to reverse course on that and say that they're going to give their best punch. Uh, still winnable, but they'll give their best punch. I think the Kings will do a number on the Lakers. So I could see them coming out of this 3-5, and five, kind of at, the, at a worst. It would be 3-5 okay. um, and five is a good good baseline for people. If they go less than 3-5, and five, then you could say they underachieved. Yeah, I think early panic, you got to stay away from early panic. I, I know Kings fans are going to want to panic early in the season, but... Hey, this is going to take a little while to get this team going the right direction. And, and the reason I say that is because really we're looking at at least at least four and if not five rotational pieces that are new. Uh, it just depends on how deep Carl goes. And, you know, and if you're going to cry, you know, over the, the Kings and their, their, their slow start, just look forward to the Detroit, Brooklyn, Toronto, Atlanta, Miami, Orlando, Charlotte, um, Milwaukee, Minnesota run. You know, that next 10 games is as good as it gets. If the Kings don't go 7-3 and three in that stretch, then they'll be performing below expectations. Yeah, that's a, f- a schedule that you get fat on. It's all on the road, but 7-3, eh, and three, I would say, is what they got to do. Yeah, I think here's how I look at it. Like, George Carl has a pretty—I think he's going to go with a nine-man rotation to begin the season. You might see a couple of minutes here and there for one extra guy— uh, James Anderson may steal some minutes, Karan Butler or Quincy AC. Those are your three guys that could actually break the nine-man rotation. But what Carl's going to do is he's really going to focus in on Rondo as a starting point guard, Ben McLemore, trying to get Ben going. He's going to have, of course, Gay at the three. He's going to have uh, he's going to have Willie Cauley-Stein at the four to start, but he's going to mix and match with Kufos. And then, of course, Cousins at the five. But then that second unit... It's a four-man unit that I think can really, really bring it to people. You know, you've got Collison, you've got Bellinelli, you've got Caspi, and you've got Kufos. And I, I think that if that's your nine-man rotation, you know, if you tighten it up, and then later down the road, you pepper in a few guys just to give some guys some, some breaks and give some other guys some minutes, 
I think that's a solid nine. I mean, I from top to bottom, I think it's about as solid a nine that you're going to run into. And I think the Kings have the potential to to do good things here. Yeah, I mean, when you, especially when you get out east, there's going to be teams whose backups are just guys you you don't want on the court. Yeah, at all, at all. <laughs> and and that's where when you have the depth that the Kings have, that's where you steal wins and you start climbing up the win chart. Yeah, they they do need to uh, get on that win chart early. I, again, I there is no panic button. George Carl is going to let this this group that he's going to start with, they're going to play about 10 games and then he's going to kind of reassess from there. He said there are going to be nights where he filters in a guy like, you know, like Kufos into the starting lineup and slides uh, Willie Cauley-Stein to the bench. It, it just really depends on matchups. I could see that against a team like Memphis where Memphis comes out and you, you match up with you, with Gasol and Zebo with, you know, cousins and Kufos. And I, and I think that's actually a pretty good, solid matchup for the Kings. So I, I think there's going to be a lot of like little moves there. Um, but you know, the guy that I wrote about, uh, on Thursday and you know, that is going to keep getting attention early in the season, Ben McLemore really seems to be lost and struggling. And Aaron, how do you think you get him comfortable when he's gone from playing, you know, last year he played almost 2,700 minutes. Carl said there's no way he's playing 26, 2,700 minutes again this season. But how do you get a guy that is young and all of a sudden you surround him with all these veterans that know exactly how to play the game of basketball every second of the game, and now he's sort of the guy that's in and he's like, hey, I've played, I've started, I've done all this stuff. But at the same time, he did it for a bad team. He did it for a team that had no depth. Uh, you know, again, last year, it was him and Nick Stauskas who started the season with two 21-year-old shooting guards. That's it. So how do you get him ready? I think, A, you you put him in the fire a little bit. I mean, at some point, the, the comfort blanket of this struggle has to go away. Like, he, he can't think that there's always going to be minutes and opportunity on the other end and you can reinforce that with positivity along the way so it doesn't have to be this draconian message that you give if you're George Carl but he has to play with more urgency and realize that the game's not going to come to him he's got to go to the game and and get his points and his looks and then find other ways to impact the game whether that's on defense or rebounding or on cuts he can't just stand there and wait. So that's one thing. But then mm-hmm. the other is playing with Rajon Rondo. Rondo ain't interested in shooting. You know, he will set back. If, if, if Rajon Rondo can't set back Ben Macklemore up, nobody can. And that will be, I think, the reason why he continues to start no matter what. And I think it'll, the, the combination, and sometimes you got to take a step back to take a step forward and that's going to be the the nature of this year it'd be great if Ben Macklemore just came firing out the shoot and was you know playing 32 minutes a night and just really taking over you know his career um but I I don't see that happening right now he's gonna have to earn it and he's gonna have to do it kind of in the fire yeah I kind of like him liken him to Jason Thompson same way Jason Thompson came out his first two years statistically were uh, are the best two years of his career and it's because the Kings were so bad that he had to play 30-plus minutes tonight because they had no one else. And Jason Thompson couldn't even stay on the floor for 30-plus minutes because he kept fouling out of every game. Still, his numbers are better from his first two years than any other year. 
then as you surround him with better and better pieces, which I'm not saying the Kings totally surround Jason Thompson with better pieces, but they at least tried for a few minutes here and there to pepper in some guys that could actually play. Um, he he started to fade a little bit. And so Macklemore, you know, you brought up Rondo and, you know, watching Rondo work with Macklemore in camp, it's one of the things, one of the impressions that I have from San Diego. It's that, you know, the rudimentary skills and understanding of the game um, that that you take for granted, they aren't fully developed in Ben McLemore. And so, I mean, I was watching Rondo, you know, he's setting up a couple of assistant coaches and he's he's showing McLemore that like, look, when I cut baseline and you're on the opposite, the opposite corner from me and I get to the, the basket, underneath the basket, and you need to start reading the defender in front of you. So if the guy floats out to the elbow, then you need to cut down to the baseline so I can hit you for the baseline pop. And if the guy floats to the floats to the baseline to cut off my baseline, then you need to float to the elbow so I have an outlet for you. And for that, I was really shocked that, I mean, that's like basketball 101, right? Well, he played center as a kid in high school. He so. did, but at the same time, even a center knows to look for a, a guard on the outside and whether the guard is in the corner or the guard's at the elbow and the guard needs to shift back and forth depending on what the defender do, does. I mean, I, I get that, the, the high school thing, but don't oh. he he's three years, this is his third year in the NBA, and he still isn't to a point where he fully understands where to go on the court. And that's why he's not going to play nearly as many minutes because Marco Bellinelli and Darren Collison do know exactly where to go. They know where to plant themselves. And it's not even like figuring out how to get open. It's figuring out where the defense isn't focused on you at all and just moving to a spot that's wide open. You're going to love this because I'm going to bring in the Rocky metaphor. And, and it works great because Marco Bellinelli kind of looks like Rocky. <laughs> so He does. I, I don't think I saw that before. You're right. Yeah. So like Ben McAmore's like Drago, you know, that Russian who can punch at a whatever thousand kilowatts or yeah. what, is it back to the future week or whatever. I got kilowatts or yeah, look at that. gigawatts in my head, but he can punch real hard, jump real high. He can athletically do everything. But Rocky had the style and the grace. And that's what Marco Bellinelli has. If some some people, I I mean, just get it and they move with the flow of the game at a high school level even and some people they just don't you know they're the kind of guy that will like run over to the ball and say give me the ball or crowd the play or do something else at the pro level that would be equivalent so Macklemore is in that stage of his career right now and again I, I think I've said it in a few podcasts now is I think he almost has to let go a little bit in order to proceed and and really maybe just take those steps back and, and stop pressing so much and then maybe listen, you know, not, not that he's not listening right now, but like really focus on with Rajon Rondo. How can me and you be a great backcourt together? Because I need to shoot. You need to pass. We've got to figure it out together. So Rondo, if he could take him under his wing, and I don't know if he's, you know, all he about is. that. He is. He's then, been taking him. And so has Bellinelli. Then make it happen. Because re- realistically, he can get off any shot he wants with his vertical leap and his you know, ability to kind of just catch and shoot. He just needs to get into the right spot. Yeah, and I really look at Macklemore, and if I'm Bellinelli this time, I'm looking at him too, as Danny Green. Like, it, can you be Danny Green for me? Can you just stay in front of a guy and play solid defense and then hit the open three? 
And then anything else that you can do is is gravy. But the thing with Danny Green is he's an expert at what we're telling listeners that Ben McLemore should be doing. And that goes underneath the radar. If you just watch him off the ball, he he's so sneaky. So are all the Spurs, but they're just so sneaky in how they just kind of sneak away. Defender turns their head, and that's the key to go. Okay, so let's let's talk about this a little bit because here, I mean, not to harp on Ben McLemore because I, I don't want to harp on Ben McLemore. He's a 22 year old kid. He clearly uh, he's in a situation that's that's a little different for him, and it's it's not comfortable. But McLemore said, you know, at practice on let's see, what was it Wednesday that. He was working with, I mean, he was watching video of Rip Hamilton. And for me, I, that's not who he should be watching, right? I mean, yeah. is it? I, I, if he's going to come off and pick and pop, then sure. If he's going to come off screens and catch and shoot, then that, sure, that's what he should be doing. But Reggie Miller had is a similar style of player, but who did it all from, the, from behind the three-point line. But I kind of want him to be... Danny Green or Bruce Bowen and and watch video on the subtleties of getting open, not how to flashy get open and, you know, become the next Kevin Martin because that's just not going to happen. Right. And then Rip's going to run, you know, however many miles in a game because he starts off on one side of the floor and sends, you know, his guy through three screens. The Kings aren't going to run that action for Ben McElmore. Not It'll all. never happen. Nope. So he's going to have to, I mean, Kawhi Leonard would be another guy that he could pattern his game off of with similar athleticism and almost, you know, Kawhi's probably got better guard skills at this point than, than Ben McLemore does. So, but with what Kawhi would have to do was always within the flow of the offense. And he maybe got, you know, two dribbles, three dribbles here, but it was always dribble, dribble, dribble shot or get rid of the ball and then go back to the corner and, and, or, you know, wherever he was spotting up for three pointers now Kawhi does a lot more, obviously, but in his first two years, that's that's exactly what you would want. And, and shocker, Pop's teaching it, but that him and Danny Green, that's the film I would have him watch. Yeah, that's what I would have him watch. And, you know, Carl talked about this being like an equal opportunity flow offense. And though that's kind of an interesting way to, you know, to talk about Carl's offense. It is just like a flow offense, and you do have all kinds of opportunities. And Guys like Marco Bellinelli and Darren Collison, they are looking at this and looking at Carl and like, wait, you mean like really? It's equal opportunity. So like go for it? And it's like, heck yeah, go for it. I'm George Carl. You go out there and score 160. I don't care. And guys like Ben McLemore are like, okay, wait, what does free flow mean again? And that's, that's you know, so... So to move past him and, and to Bellinelli and, and Collison and what they're going to bring this season, I, I'm i listening to Carl talk at practice on Thursday, and he starts saying that, you know, he is surprised by Bellinelli, what Bellinelli can do. said that he had major constraints in what Popovich would let him do. He compared his creativity and, like, ball skills to Pete Maravich? Wait, what? He's like... Yeah, he's like, this guy has so many moves that he has so much more potential than what we knew he would have when we got him. And he's I want to tell you that he's an elite shooter. He's really close. But he's like, I don't know quite yet if I want to say elite, if he's like one of the best shooters in the game. But, you know, not only that, but he's a 
an incredible ball handler. He's an incredible passer. All of these things that you didn't know about Bellinelli because Bellinelli was playing in a very, very tight system in with with the Spurs. And now, man, the gloves are off. Marco Bellinelli is about to be released to the world. Yeah, I fully agree with that. And the thing with Bellinelli is he really went through the ringer, similarly to the, the ringer that Ben McLemore is going through right now, as he was a high draft pick by the Warriors. The Warriors never worked out, and fans were you know loathing that pick and making fun of that pick. And then he went to places like Chicago and was you know kind of a, a bit player there. Places like New Orleans, he was a bit player there, where he had similar skills. But over the years, I mean, again, like Costa Kufos, he's at the peak of his career in terms of athleticism. And then when you have that much experience, seven, eight years worth of experience, you're really just, you know what the game is slowed down. You know what you're doing. You know what you're good at. You know what you're not. And so he's developed this really dangerous package where he's willing to shoot from anywhere and he can do it proficiently. So you have to respect that, but he has the ball handling skills to go around you if you overcommit. And he's got this sneaky European flavor to his game that's similar to the Spurs um, guys and who he played with for the last couple of years, that's all coming to fruition. And in, in San Antonio, they'd always have to put the lid on him and pull him back because he wanted to do that stuff. And Papa would be like, uh-uh, that's not your role here. Now the Kings need him to do that. So as far as a mini breakout goes, yeah, you're going to see it. And it's going to be fun to watch for Kings fans you just worry about, I think, with Bellinelli, before we get too ahead of ourselves, defensively, he's been adequate in the past, and you want him to keep that up. And then you want him to stay within the confines of the offense because, again, you got a guy named DeMarcus Cousins who needs to eat. Yeah, I, I think that was the other thing. You're right. He Cousins is still going to be the focus. Gay is still going to be the focus. These guys are going to come off the bench. They're just going to launch. I, I honestly, people are going to look at me sideways. I would be shocked if both he and Collison weren't looking at close to 15 points a game. Those two are going to have a green... Like, there isn't a bulb or a light fixture big enough to hold the green light that those two have. They're going to be phenomenal for this team. It's really... Collison, it's funny because of all the, the, the comparisons between him and Drink, Isaiah Thomas. Now, Darren Collison has really... He's going to have that same little place within the hearts of Kings fans because of the play that he's going to bring to the table this season as the X factor, uh, third best player on the team and really probably the most consistent player on the team on a night in night out basis. Maybe Rudy Gay overtakes him for that title, but Collison is never going to be off. You know, it's just, he's got what his skills are. They don't really change. He's definitely not trying to do too much though. He's going to do a lot. It's going to be fun to watch that guy play. Yeah, I totally agree. And and just to finish up on Bellinelli, the one thing I'll point out for Bellinelli too is uh, Carl has also stated that Bellinelli's defense is much better than he thought because he just thought, oh, I'm an offensive weapon. But he spent time with Thibodeau in Chicago. He spent time with Popovich. In order to earn minutes, you have to play defense. And so he is a better defensive player than, than you thought. And the cool thing about Collison is the mixture of Rondo and Collison. There are such extreme differences between their games that I think it's really going to... They're a one-two punch that are really going to shock people. It's going to be a guy who's setting up everybody, setting up, setting up, setting up, and then you swap him out, and all of a sudden a dude is running right by you and and hitting layups, or he's pulling up for three, or he's pulling up for mid-range jumpers, he's playing the pick and roll. You're like, whoa. 
So there's going to be this really fun sort of dynamic that happens. And then if you fall behind, you're going to see Rondo, Collison, Bellinelli. Book it. That's going to be, you're going to see those three. And you'll probably see Rudy Gay at the four and DeMarcus Cousins at the five. And that team can erase a 10-point lead in eight possessions. You know, this podcast is a lot easier than the last one where I had to defend my 47 win prediction against the doubters. This podcast is a lot easier. Okay, so let's do this. <laughs> the road to 33. Dun, 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 dun. The Kings are zero and zero. Aaron Bruski, how is the road to 33 going? <laughs> it is doing awesome. Somebody said, hey, you know what? You should take the under 36 and a half and try to win both bets. And I was like, hell no, they're winning 47 games. I'd never do that. 47 games is your that is your uh your mark right yeah and and then blake ellington did reach out to me he's like hey man sorry i thought you didn't have time or whatever and he had totally sent me a message asking if i would be in on the media roundtable and because i'm not sleeping this week because it's the week before the season starts i totally blew it so blake my bad i'm the idiot yeah there it is now you're 47. Explain your 47, because we don't we don't have much time left here on this mm. this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. Uh, the East is terrible. The Rockets, the Mavs, the Blazers are going down. Uh, doubts about some other teams like Phoenix, um, though I do like Phoenix. Utah, I think, is going to be good, but they lack a point guard that I can trust. Um but really, this is about the Kings and their depth. I feel like they could take two injuries and still feel the competitive team on, on nights. And they still have the sneak attack factor. They've got a great home court advantage. As people know, they've got a lot to prove. Yeah, it's going to be a pressure cooker. But I think within that pressure will be a diamond. And I am going to bet 47 wins. 47 wins. Okay, I'm not nearly as generous. I, I think it's between 42 and 44, and, and I might be wrong. And I, I, I hope that I am. I hope that I get to cover a, a really, really good team. Um, but they're a first-year first together team. That's really what this – they have to figure it out quickly. And that's just not easy. It's not easy at the NBA level to put all this stuff together and and all of a sudden, boom, you're, you're incredible. And so I'm going to be a little more conservative on my, on my, uh, my picks – but I, I still think this team can be really solid, really solid overall. All right, there it is. So uh, we will be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. He is Aaron Bruski. Special thank you to Chad Iskey for coming on in the first half. We will see you next week.